and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Sometime in the years around our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I call the ick. Like some part of our life no longer fits and you're not quite sure what to do about it. I know that was true for me and I fought against it, which only made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40 and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is Di Manuel, who found himself in his late 30s more afraid of what would happen if he didn't strike out on his own and take a chance on himself, his family, and his life. He realized that everything he had been pursuing was someone else's life, and he had to go out and live his own. This conversation got off to a little bit of a different start than most of my guests, with Di asking the questions and me doing a lot of the talking. It's a great reprisal of the original 40 Drinks project and how it led to this podcast, now with 75 episodes under my belt. What was the inspiration to to start your podcast? The whole thing started with something that I did when I turned 40, which Mm. was a while ago now. But I was in a place in my life where throwing the big party just Mm. felt really not fitting. It it just Mm. felt yucky. And and I am an extrovert. I'm a Leo. I'm all the Mm. things like, give me some spotlight. (laughs) I shine. And yet the thought of having that party was just actually like a little heartbreaking. So I was trying to figure out what else could I do to sort of celebrate the milestone that would mark it appropriately. And so instead, the idea came to me almost fully formed. It just kind of dropped into my brain. And and I decided to have 40 drinks with 40 people in 40 Uh, different places. And each drink was going to have a thematic connection to my friend Mm -hmm. or our relationship. I decided to do this because it was going to be ridiculous and outrageous and silly. And it was going to let me extend my birthday for as long as it took to find 40 drinks, which was just about a year. (laughs) Wow. It started off almost accidentally with my best friend. We were having dinner. I told him about the idea, blah, blah, blah. The perfect drink appeared on the menu in front of us. And it was like, oh, well, I guess we're doing it. And so I started. And then the next couple of drinks were easy. There were two people who were in, you know, a couple that I knew was home. They lived away. They were home for, you know, in the next couple of weeks, somebody else had traveled. So it was like, oh, let me have drinks with these people while they're here. And then -hmm. a couple of good friends. And, and so it really got off like pretty quickly. Yeah. And then after a couple of months, I was like, well, wait a minute. All right. You know, you've done 10, you've done 15. You've like, okay, wait a minute. Now I don't actually have that many left. What do I want to do with them? So I started digging around in my life and I went and I found people from grammar school, high school, college, an old boyfriend, um, people I used to work with, some people I hadn't seen in 10 or 15 years. And so 
what happened over the course of the year was yes, there were 40 drinks, hmm. but what they were was 40 visits. Hmm. And during those visits, the people I was visiting with would, you know, organically the conversation sort of turns to when we were close or when we were together or when we were, mm. you know, connected or whatever. And they would reflect back. They would tell me stories about me that I didn't know, or I had forgotten, wow. or I had like, you know, wallpapered over that, you know, yeah. characteristic that I thought wasn't, you know, something. <laughs> and so the ultimate resolution was that at the end of the year, I was a completely different person than I was at the beginning of the year. Wow. And wow. one of the easy, obvious markers of that is that yeah. I met my husband mm. during the year. I started it in July. I met him in April. And very quickly, it became clear he was something very special. And, mm. you know, and it also became clear. One of the things I realized very clearly was that if he had met me a couple of years before, he would not have been attracted to the person I was. Mm. He probably would have been amused for a short amount of time. Mm. But after a couple of months, I could very easily see him sort of going like, enough. Okay. It was fun, but because I was a real party girl, I was wild. I was, mm. you know, I was always, you know, drinking and doing stuff. And, and so I was not grounded. I was definitely not, you know, settled in myself. And so th during that year, a lot of that happened. And so when I met him and, and, you know, we got pretty serious pretty quick. I mean, he had moved in mm. in like six months. Wow. I was like, awesome. oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's it great. was like, yeah, this would not have happened without that experience. Mm. And there were other things too in my life. There were, you know, transitions with a friend group and there were, mm. you know, there were, there were all kinds of things, moving pieces. But what I realized was that I'm not the only one that goes through a transition at, at this period of time. I became very curious about it. So it, it actually turns out to be a very predictable development stage for adults, except mm -hmm. that that's not common cultural knowledge. People don't know that you're heading for a breakdown of some sort or a falling mm -hmm. apart or a coming together or however you want to call it or characterize it. For many years with a friend of mine, I worked on a book proposal because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's like, ah, it's a great idea. It should be a book. Yeah. It should be a movie. It should be a TV show, yeah. whatever. And, ah. and so we had this book proposal and he's a professional ghostwriter. So, you know, oh, we were great. definitely on the awesome. right track. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because we always got such good feedback from the publishing industry on the idea, on the concept, on even how we were putting it together and framing mm. it. But it was always a a not quite or a no. And there were a couple mm. of reasons. Why though? Like, uh, I, I, here's I'm, the, curious. I'm curious. There's a yeah. big one. The big yeah. reason is that the publishing industry is a very risk averse industry. Mm. Sure. And so I did not have what they call a platform. My yeah. website wasn't getting 10,000 unique hits a month. Mm. I didn't have, you know, 42,000 people following me on social. I didn't have the obvious audience that was immediately going to buy the book. Right. Yeah. So even though I own a marketing agency, my real life, my day job, mm -hmm. and every proposal we put out was like, here's everything that I'm going to do to market the book. Yeah. There was always a gatekeeper. There was always a, a wow. something blocking. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I came across the concept of podcasting and I, you know, I sort of knew, mm -hmm. but I'd never thought I would do it. 
And, <laughs> and the more I sort of learned about it, that was like, you know, of course I went at it first, like, well, how can I use this for my business and how can I help right, my business sure. grow? And then I was like, wait a minute, what if I did the 40 drinks podcast? Well, and then it was, okay, well, if I did that and I just talked about my 40 drinks, you're done in 40 episodes. Right. <laughs> so instead of taking the spotlight on me, what if I did that mm. and talked about, talked to other people about their experiences and their transitions and that idea just sang for me. That's the it. pretty fully fleshed backstory uh, of the podcast. It's awesome. Thank you. Like really, it's amazing. Thank I, and you. I, I got to just commend you because I know it's, it takes a lot of energy, yeah. a lot of resources, a lot, a lot of, well, let's just say getting uncomfortable, yes. <laughs> you know, but good for you. I mean, it's yeah. just awesome. But I love that. I just love that idea of these it's capturing these, these really it's 40 micro experiences. Right. Yeah. And, and then now you're just transitioning to, I mean, it's just giving people the tools to, yeah. to have better conversations and connection as well. Right. Yeah. Which is just awesome. I, I, I did something similar. I had 40 videos, you know, 40 days to 40 and it yeah. was basically 40 life lessons, 40 things I would have liked to have told myself when I was 20 because right around the same time, my kids were closer to 20 than I was. Okay. So I was like, you know, what would I have wanted to learn when I was 20? You know, that would have been helpful. So I did 40 videos in 40 days leading up to my, my 40th birthday, but wow. similar to you, like I, I wasn't excited for a party or any of that stuff. I mean, I just really just, it wasn't like, I, I was like, it's 40, it's like, whatever. But if I can impart some knowledge and some more so wisdom that I've learned in those 40 years, I felt that that was something more meaningful. So yeah. I, I just, I love your idea because you went one step further. You carried a whole platform around this. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, It's awesome. Well, you know, it's funny yeah. because as a, as an extrovert, you know, mm. the, the getting together with people was, was very fulfilling and very satisfying, yeah. but also yeah. one of the things I learned decades ago about being an extrovert is that a lot of times we don't know what we think until it's kind of out here in front of us until we're, we've right. got sort of the air between us filled with words. Mm. And so mm. a couple of weeks ago, I, I was recording the outro for an upcoming yeah. episode. My mission came again out of my mouth, fully formed. I said, I want to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition around yeah. age 40. And mm. then I want to showcase so many versions of that, that mm. anybody who is either approaching 40 or recently turned 40 with dread in their hearts knows that they are not alone. Yes. Oh, powerful. So that's what and I'm clear, doing. very yeah. clear. You know, yeah. I love it. What a great mission. Thank you. I think it's so Thank cool. You. Like it kind of reminds me of, well, just more so like the, this idea, like, I don't know if you ever came across Dr. Wayne Dyer's book, The Shift. I, yeah. I, like, I've, I've, I know of him. I yeah. don't know that I've read that particular book. He's done a documentary. Well, it's not a documentary. Sorry. It's not, but they've sort of done a Hollywoodized version of that. Okay. That based loosely on the principle, but it's, it's about that sort of, but it really looks more at men specifically okay. and how, you know, men either have a, that midlife crisis as they call it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's just no sense of purpose or meaning. And so they distract themselves because they know there's this big gap that they're trying to fill, right? And, yeah. Or alternatively, you go all in on trying to create impact and and really align with the meaning and purpose for one's life, you know? So I, I found that really fascinating because I know when I was transitioning around 40, 
I don't know, 40 to 42. Those those few years were kind of weird. You know, yeah. they were weird. Just so many changes happening all at once. But also physically mm-hmm. changes happening, right? Yep. Like it's I can't train like I was when I was in my 30s or 20s. Like I got to adapt even how I train, you know. And yeah. so it was it's interesting. Super yeah. interesting. But I, I love it. I love this. This is so cool. I love well, what you're doing. I really do. The, I think it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm so curious about is that yeah. – I think, you know, I remember being a kid in the 80s and Mm. the Mm. midlife crisis was like a a cultural phenomenon. It was a thing, right? Every 40th birthday was black balloons and over the hill paper plates and, you know, all of that stuff. And I feel like now it's Uh, the the millennials and that generation that are approaching and turning 40 right now have so separated themselves from that concept of the midlife yes. crisis. Yes. And of course we're living longer. So what actually is oh, yeah. midlife and totally. you know, all of these things. So I think that a generation or two ago, there was, if you had some weird feeling inside of you, at least there was some cliched thing you could look yeah. at and say, Oh, well maybe this is my version of that. Right. And now there isn't. Yes. Yes. So, Oh man. Cause yeah. I saw my dad go through that divorce. My mom, right. The, the whole deal. I remember seeing that because I, I too, a child of the eighties. I remember my parents dropping the bomb on us in mid eighties. You know, I think I was about not quite 10 yet. So it would have yeah. been probably 1985 or so. There was still lots of stigmatization towards divorces back then. Yes, right? Like we don't was. have the stats. Like today we're more, more relationship to end a divorce than actually succeed. And right. which is startling in itself. And it went, you know, definitely a social commentary there, but, but outside of that, you know, it was seeing that happen. And then, seeing that repeat itself. But now, you know, there's so much more resources for kids of divorced homes, you know, where I didn't have anybody to talk to back then. So right. being someone that went internal, yeah. you know, I, I did, I became very introverted and actually developed social anxiety and became yep. morbidly obese also on top of that, you know, like, wow. so it was just all these things. Cause I, I just really went off the deep end because I, I didn't have any of that support. And I, you know, I was self-medicating with, yeah. with food, video with games, food. and movies, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that was it. It was my lifestyle for six years. So of course, you know, it doesn't yep. take a rocket scientist to tell you, oh yeah, you're, you're eating more than you need and you're going to keep gaining, you know, and right. sure I did. So yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I, I, I just wish my dad had access to a platform like yours. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I think about those cliches in that older generation, the baby boomers, especially. They still are a very interesting generation because all of them are now, you know, sort of in their late seventies, eighties, even early nineties. And uh, they're, they're, they're in a weird place right now. Right. Cause I see them going through another transition because Mm -hmm. they're like, geez, do I reinvest in my health now hoping to get another maybe 30 years out of me or do I deal with the health issues and just go one at a time? You know, like that health span, I think is a very relevant conversation today. You know, with that idea, but that idea of it's not just lifespan. Right. It's health span. It's For like, sure. can you stay, you know, longevity is one thing, but longevity yep. without vitality. Right. What's the point? You right. know, like, right. so right. I, I think there's, it's such a relevant conversation you're leading. I think it's just wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Cool. It's, uh, it, it's kind of a wild thing to dig into because as I have these conversations and, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I'm doing this as a service, right. To help yeah. other people. Of course. I got to tell you out of every, you know, out of every five conversations, mm-hmm. I'll hang up on one of them and go, oh, that <laughs> one was a hundred percent for me. You know, it's like I'm still so cathartic, know, right? Oh, still I bet. learning, yeah, yeah, yeah. still you know, still learning, still like hearing <laughs> things that like, oh, wait a minute, that like other people, I I, I have not been a particularly mm. 
self-reflective, introspective person mm -hmm. for most of my life. So there's sure. a lot of things that I didn't go digging for mm -hmm. and didn't go looking at or examining. And so some of these words and some of this language and some of these experiences, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's so as much as it is for other people, it's also, yeah. I think, very and isn't that the, the way, though, you you do something oh, yeah. for others that is actually what you need yourself. Right. That's that's Absolutely. Sort of, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's I know mean, it's the hero's journey through and through. Right. Like yeah. It's straight up. It's like now you're just helping others with that same part of the journey, but you still got to walk it again and again. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I always think about that. It's like as much as you help people get on these journeys, very often we're just walking it again and again ourselves, guiding them. Right. Yeah. And, and then eventually they take the lead and we follow them. And that's just the way life works. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh, right. There, there will come an expiration date on mm. my version of this, right? Mm, then sure, will I sure. do this for five years or 10 years? And then at some point, maybe I won't be relevant mm. anymore. And somebody else, you know, and the culture will change. And, well, and 50 it, drinks so, to 50, wasn't it? Isn't yeah. that the next one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, my friend. That one is in the rear view. <laughs> really? You yeah. look fantastic, Stephanie. Oh, so whatever you. you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> it's you mostly, great. thank yeah. you. It's mostly genetics. Yeah. yeah. I turned 52 Good. this summer. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm turning 47 in a few weeks here. So okay. All it's, right. yeah, I'm, I'm looking at 50. It's, 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 I'm staring down the barrel right now, yep. you know? So uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, hey, if I, I guess a little bit of your genetics, I'll feel really good about turning 50, you know? So that's great. <laughs> I swung around to another 40 recently and that was I was I was walking to work a, a couple of weeks ago and realizing that the women on both sides of my family yeah. have really some pretty significant longevity. My dad's mother okay. died when she was 92 Whew, nice. and my mom's aunt died when she was 99 and a half. No way. Whoa, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And so I was walking to work and I realized, well, I just turned 52. I potentially have another 40 years. So, yeah. you More. know, I was like, More. I came around to, sure, sure, sure. But I just came around to another 40, you know, was yes. like, oh, what if I've got another 40 years? And it's so funny because people think when they get old and when they get yeah. older, it's like, oh, do you become less relevant? Do you become less vibrant? Yeah. Do you become less meaningful? Whatever. It's like, I have another 40 years. That's a whole lifetime yep. left. And so. it's not like everyone's just going to disappear. There's lots of people in our age category that will still be relevant to, you know, it's, yeah. uh, but you got to start somewhere and yeah. someone's got to take the lead. And the yeah. fact that you're doing it is, is, you know, what 99.9% .9 of other people don't do. Yeah. Yeah. So well. relevancy, I think will just naturally be there because you're taking action. You're sure. You're doing stuff, you know, like I, I, I just, and I think I think about my mom and even my grandparents when they retired, they, they've all, you know, they've passed since, but I just, you know, that transition from when you go from work, 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 mm -hmm. and then don't have the work. I think that's an interesting milestone for a lot of people as well. You yeah. know, because, because I, you know, can go one of two ways. It's it either sure awesome <laughs> yeah. or it's not, Right. you know, and right. I look at my mom's health, it, my dad's health, phew, like it yeah. was wild, like just within years of them leaving their careers, working, yeah. you know, the 40, 50 hours a week for 40 plus years. It was just right. like that loss of purpose, right? Yeah. It's just, it's interesting, you know? What so, gives you meaning? Yeah, exactly. You know? And can you yeah. find it internally or can you find it outside Ooh. of your career? Or Yeah, yeah, it is. That's, a, oh my goodness, that's a whole nother transition. Yeah. But as a self-employed person, somebody who owns my mm -hmm. own company, I don't anticipate that coming anytime soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
do you really want? I mean, I, I, my wife and I talk about this frequently. We we just became empty nesters, so my my okay. youngest daughter is off at university now. So we're now in a transition fear, period for ourselves, right? Yep. Like it's just it's weird. Twenty years plus years with kids always around, and yep, they're not around, right? And it's like. What do we do with ourselves? Yeah, you because know? like, you have a lot of this extra energy all of a sudden and time yeah. and, and attention. And yeah. it's like, where do we want to give our attention now? Where does and it go? So these conversations are very relevant right now. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's interesting, those transitionary periods in our lives. huh? I, I, I mean, I love that you're, you're capturing those. I think it's yeah. good. You Thank know? you. Super cool. Well, then why don't we just shift the conversation and let's talk about yours. Keep jamming. <laughs> let's keep jamming. So uh, tell me a little yeah. bit about how we get to the beginning of your story, which you said was mm. you, your first mm -hmm. shift is at 32. So so you, you talked a yeah. little bit about your parents got divorced when you were a kid. So yeah. fill in the blank there. We're kids of the 80s. There wasn't an internet the way we know it today. And we didn't really have ease of access of information like we do today. Yep. And, and also, you know, there was a lot of topics that were heavily stigmatized like divorce. And, and you know, there was only one other kid in my entire class that didn't have his original parents together. And so right, right away, you feel like a, a, an ostracized minority that you yeah. can't talk to the other kids because they just don't get it. Right. And, and meanwhile, they, their yeah. parents are judging yeah. you and exactly. your parents. Exactly. Oh, mm -hmm. thank you for stating that. Because you see that, especially, you know, being, I think I was in grade three or four at the time, you know, and. Yeah. It was a grade five. Anyways, it was right around that, you know, sort yeah. of that, that grade school period. And it was just, it was just so weird. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I just feeling that frustration, not knowing how to express my emotions. My dad's always been very stoic. Mm -hmm. My mom, hyper emotional. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, trying yep. to navigate between those two polar opposites has been yeah. challenging because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a bit of both, you know, I am a bit of both. And yep. anyways, long and short of it, I, I, went internal. I, I started to eat my emotions. I, I learned really quickly that if I did certain things and I ate certain foods that I can manipulate my emotional state, my psychological state, you know, I can make myself in the moment, forget about everything around me and just focus on that act and, and enjoy the little dopamine highs that I would get from eating certain sugary foods or watching certain movies or playing video games. And was it conscious? Did you yeah. know that you felt better or no. that you would? Okay. All right. I, I knew I was trying to distract myself. Okay. Like I learned that distraction was a great way to avoid, mm -hmm. you know, like it was just do things so I don't have to f pay attention to this stuff, you know. So this, I feel sad about my parents not being together. I'm confused. I'm feeling lost. My parents were dealing with their own stuff. Like let's sure. be real, you know. They, mm -hmm. Now as someone that's close to the age that they were, <laughs> you know, when they were going through that and being in, that I've been in a relationship for 23 years, I, I now understand you know, the, the work that they had to put in and, and also why the end result occurred, you know, mm -hmm. and after six years of, of basically self-medicating, I, at 15, was at the doctor with my mom and Dr. Quinn pulls my mom aside. It's like, Betty Ann, die is morbidly obese. His BMI is in the 40s. You know, like this is, this is serious, you know, and, and I had no idea what any of that meant. Right. But I knew how I felt. Yeah. And I was dealing with a lot of mental health challenges. You know, mm -hmm. I was very depressed, dealing with social anxiety. Yeah. And also I, I, I avoided a lot of things, you know, mm -hmm. social things because I, I felt so low about myself. Yeah. I really didn't like me. And yeah. there was a moment though, where I became hyper aware that if I didn't do something, my future wasn't looking better than it was right then and there at 15. You know, like I really did. I got because you know during high school in those early high school days, you start meeting with the counselors and the teachers start asking questions like, "What are you going to do when you graduate?" And I'm like, yep. "I have no idea." I don't know. Right? And, uh, yeah, pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, "Well, I, I sure hope I don't feel this way when I graduate." Right. And I started realizing that that is the future if I don't do something. 
And I became more afraid of that future than the idea of figuring out how to change. You know, and I, I mean, I can articulate this now and I've also had the therapy to help me unpack all this, you know, many right. years later, but right. I can honestly say, you know, it, it was a great time in my life because I, I felt empowered to make a change for myself. Didn't really know how to do it. I was intimidated by that. Didn't necessarily know how I would keep it going, you know, cause it was something I'd never done before, but I knew I was open to it and I was ready for it. And uh, long and short of it took 20 months to release the weight all that weight that took me six years to put on, yeah. but also a new lifestyle emerged from that. And also sort of a, a new psychology, if you will, a new perspective on myself, but I was still seeking validation. Mm -hmm. And this is important for later because even in my twenties and in my early thirties, I was still seeking validation. Yeah. Externally. You know, seek externally. So yeah. because I was here, I, I just wanted to be wanted. You know, that was yeah. a big motivation, extrinsic motivation. Like, I wanted a girlfriend when I was 15. Okay. Yeah, I did. But... I wanted someone to want me. And yeah. you wanted to be special. I did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel mm -hmm. cared for and, and wanted. And I wanted that level of intimacy with somebody else as well, mm -hmm. you know? And well, you know, this started to happen at 17, but I also realized I still felt like that morbidly obese fat kid, even though I, I had made all these external changes and people were telling me, yo, you look great. I was getting yeah. invited to parties. I, I was yeah. having dates, had a girlfriend even by that time. And yeah. And then I remember being at a party and being given my first alcoholic beverage, you know, a beer. And then I had a second one. And by the third one, I was like, oh, there's some girls over there. And I know we've been eyeing each other. I'm going to go talk to them, you know? Yeah. And, oh, there's a big circle of guys over there laughing and chatting. Normally, I would never get into that circle and try to interject myself into the conversation. But I was like, I'm going to go hang out and see what's going on. You know, like yeah. all that liquid courage, the cliche, yeah. it, it is legit. There's why the there's a cliche. social lubricant, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And I learned very quickly or at least I, I became to believe very quickly that people enjoyed hanging out with that version of me more than who I was. Yep. And so then, you know, this perpetuated well into my twenties and until 32. And mm -hmm. now real quickly during the, my twenties, you know, I, I moved from Toronto to Vancouver, so all across Canada mm -hmm. because I wanted a fresh start at 18. You know, I graduated high school. I was like, peace out. I want to go somewhere where nobody knows my background, yep. you know, cause there was still that stigmatization, you know, yep. certain people, like certain girls in my class, I was from a small town. So yeah, it's like, yeah. They wouldn't give me the time of day. It didn't matter how much I changed. You know, yep. it was just like, no, you're the fat kid. You know, like, yep. anyway, so it's amazing how shallow people can be, but that's just the way it is, you know, yep. and moved out to Vancouver. I was going to school at University of British Columbia and, you know, just studying general sciences and then eventually transitioned to philosophy and English literature. I went into the arts, but I, I was always doing something that I loved, which was fitness. Okay. And lots of fitness jobs. And then I, I found an equipment job selling fitness equipment. And it was my first time working in a performance-based pay structure okay. you know, where, where there was no cap and it was based on how many people I could help yeah. find the right solution to help them get healthy results. They would pay me more. And I was like, is this for real? Is this like legit? Like, you, you sure about this? Like, I was like questioning. I was like, there's got to be a catch, right? right. And because I'm selling stuff that I love to play with. Like this, this helped me change my life. I mean, I, I, I believe in this stuff, you know, right. and... Uh, and they're like, yeah, that's the deal. And anyways, I, I got into it and I excelled very quickly and became one of the top guys in Canada within my first couple of years in the business. And a few years after that, by my mid twenties, I had an opportunity to go and be a partner and start up our own company. Mm -hmm. And we did just that. And that was a, a wonderful 13 year journey, but alcohol is still very present. Yep. It was still there. And, and here's the crazy part. Everybody I associated with personally and professionally, this was just normal. Yes. Me too. It was all normalized, right? Me too. Like, yep. Yeah. It's just, well, it yeah, was just you, the people I hung yeah. out with. Oh. It was just what we did. 
it's it's wild, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and because I didn't know any better, and I was just it just mm-hmm. is what it is, and mm-hmm. and even the conversations were just never very deep because you know you get a few drinks in India, you might have a deep conversation, but you may not remember most of it come the next day, right? right. And uh, so I, I felt a lot of times not a lot of connection, like deep significant connection, and I knew I wanted that, you know, like but didn't know how to get it. And honestly, I had my own habits and that were preventing me from doing that, mm-hmm. you know, especially the drinking, which also sometimes will lead to narcotic use and, mm-hmm. and other things I'm not proud of because it was so misaligned with my values yeah. and how I was raised. And, and we know whenever we do something that's against our values, we don't feel very good about it. Right. You know, yeah. guilt, shame, blame. I mean, all that yeah. stuff comes in. And at 32, my wife had it. She was done. And we had been together for 10 years at that time. Both my daughters were under the age of six. My wife's like, you know what? We need to talk about what life's going to look like co-parenting our kids, but you can't be here anymore. This is not an environment that we want to raise our girls in any longer. Because a lot of time I'd have my own drinks at home, right? Like yeah. I come home after work. Oh, I've had a long day. You know, I'm stressed. Yeah. I'm going to have some beer or yeah. I'm going to have a wine, you know, like yeah. it would always be a bottle later. Right. And yep. uh, it was just such a present habit. And and some of my actions and how I was showing up for my family. I, I get it. I understand why she got to that point. And then she asked me a question while we were in this deep discussion and tears were being exchanged. <laughs> like yeah. just, it was just constant. It felt like a tennis match of sobbing, you know, and it was just yeah. back and forth. And she said, Di, are you being the type of man you would want to marry your daughters? Whew. Yeah. Stephanie, when she asked me that, it was just like, holy smokes. You know, like I, I got really irate, obviously, very yeah, irritated. Yeah. And, and I mean, I was very defensive and, yeah which I was always very defensive. I never took criticism very well, you know, based on my background. I just, I yeah. was not good with criticism and, yeah. or feedback for that matter. Cause I always took it as a negative, yeah. <laughs> you know, very fixed in my mindset back then. And, yeah. uh, and that wasn't what I wanted, but I knew she, the, tr- the question she just asked me, I know I couldn't answer it honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say, of course, but I knew right. that was a lie. I, yeah. I wasn't being that guy. And it was like right then and there, I made a change. I, again, just like at 15, I was like, I cold turkey. I want to get healthy. So I'll just start doing things to make me healthier. I was like, you know, I'm going to go a year without drinking. That, that'd be the longest stint I'd ever done without drinking since I was like 17. Yeah. You know, like I'd only ever done like a sober January one time in those 15 years of drinking. So right. drinking was very prominent. It was very challenging. And six weeks in, I realized I, I can't do this on my own. You know, I need some help. Okay. And that's when I experienced being vulnerable for the first time, like really, truly being vulnerable and trying to express emotions, even though I didn't have the language, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the words to express mm-hmm. myself. I tried and I fumbled my way through it with my wife and it was so cathartic. Mm-hmm. Like this release, you know, just sort of uh, came off of me. My wife looks at me after this hour of me just bleh on her. Yep. <laughs> She's like, thank you, you know, for being honest with me and t- sharing that with me. And you know, it's going to be okay. I love you. Yeah. We're going to get through this. And then, she, and then she followed that up with, after a long pause, I think you should talk to somebody, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and she was right, but I had a very negative opinion on mental health and mental health supporters. And I was like, I'm not crazy. Why do I have to talk to somebody like We that, grew up you know? in the eighties. Exactly. <laughs> it was not acceptable. <laughs> Only crazy people uh, went to totally. therapy in the eighties. Yes. Or at least as, as kids, that's yeah. maybe what we interpreted. True. And I know I did myself. Me and, too. Um, Me too. It was tough. And so yeah. I did. I went and found somebody and I worked with him for five and a half, six months. And I found a 
relationships counselor that worked with my wife and I to help us with our communication. And, but after our first session with her, she's like, yeah, you know, Christy, Di, looking at us on the couch. I think Di should come back on his own for a little bit. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so it was like, okay, okay, touche, no problem. And uh, I thought this was couples counseling. for the first couple oh, of months. <laughs> totally, totally. She was just in a much, you know, better place. She was, yeah. she had matured, you know, she was, yeah. I, I hadn't. And yep. uh, it was quite the year. You know, at the end of the year, everything had changed. I, I'd started doing more personal development, looking at the internal side of developing myself where everything had been external. Right. You know, wh- whatever people see is what I worked on. You know, if I could shift their perception of me to a certain thing, then my job, I believed, was done. Right. You know, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, I don't have the tools or resources. I don't understand how to do this inner work. I stumbled my way through it. And yeah. And this is what set out that path really in motion, you know, yep. because in the next five years, everything in my life changed for the better. Okay. For the better, you know, like my relationships with my kids, you know, with my wife, with my business partner at the time, you know, with, gosh, with even just my colleagues and my friends, my family, like even the community initiatives that we became involved with, I just found I had this energy, this, this desire, this, this want in me, this, this need, if you will, to, Mm -hmm. to help others and to be a better version, to be that guy that I can honestly say, you know, if my girls end up with someone like me right now, I'm happy about that. I could support that. Hi, we'll get back to the show in just a minute. You know, I was talking to a friend recently who was going through some stuff and I recommended a previous episode of the podcast to her. It was relevant to her situation. She listened and she loved it. And that got me thinking, if you've got an issue you're facing or something you're going through, drop me a line and let me know what's going on. And I can recommend one or two episodes that might be relevant for what you're experiencing. Think of it as your own personal podcast prescription. I'd love to make one for you. DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40drinks.com. And don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right, back to die. That was really it, you know, and then come... About 37, 38, I was like, you know, this path I'm on, this company I've been building with my partner and this whole team that we had built over the years, we had built up to about eight figures a year and significant operation, omni-channel, as they say in the retail space. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, retail locations, we had eight and we had a couple of B2B enterprises. We were manufacturing things overseas and shipping and all over the place and and doing online e-commerce all across Canada. It was quite the operation. I learned a lot through this. I didn't go to school for that. Right, right. Yeah. But I learned a lot being in the space for 17 years. So that was interesting because I honestly felt, Stephanie, that that was the path I was meant to be on the rest of my life. Right. I, I thought, this is it. This is what I'm meant to be doing. This is my company I co-founded. I'm going to be the CEO and my business partner, 20 years my senior, steps aside. Right. This is it. Yeah. And then I realized, like, this life I've been chasing or trying to design when I really looked at it hard, because that my business partner was also my first real business mentor. 20 years my senior. I started working with him when I was in my early 20s. He was in his early 40s, five years younger than I am now. Mm-hmm. And I looked at his life. I looked at his kids. I looked at the stuff that he had acquired, but also the experience he had had. And I was like, I want that. Yeah. That must be successful. Right. And 17 years later, this life I've been chasing and trying to design and all these things I've been doing, I'm trying to live his life. Yeah. Oh. Not mine. And, and that's what was scary. Like, this was really scary at this point, Stephanie, which I know you can speak to because you've had so many of these conversations. Right. But when you start to realize the path that you're on isn't the path you're meant to be on anymore, 
it's like, well, where am I supposed to be? You know, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I did what I thought it was best. I left that career. I gave them 20 months notice. So plenty of time to find somebody or also put the systems in place. Cause I know I was a very integral part of the team Mm -hmm. managing a lot of responsibilities, but I wanted to leave right. A month after I left, my wife quit her job. A couple months after that, we pulled the kids out of school, gave away all our stuff, packed up the SUV and went traveling. I had also written a book during that 20 months notice. That was something I felt I had a need in me to do. We traveled around North America predominantly because my father was sick with pancreatitis, which eventually progressed into pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. We knew that we wanted to be close to him in case yep. we had to mm-hmm. spend some of that time with him at end of life. And mm-hmm. fortunately for us, it was the final six months we were with them and the whole family living under the same roof again, which was really weird. It was a heck of a five years. And we spent two and a half of those years in Bali, Indonesia. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I know it was, it was hard, (laughs) (laughs) but that, that was it, you know, these five years. And then we moved back to Vancouver pre pandemic because my girls, we always said that if they wanted to finish schooling in Vancouver, we would honor that. And so we came back to Vancouver so they could graduate and now they're graduating. So that's, that's basically giving you everything up to today. And now I'm still helping people navigate change, whether professionally in organizations or just personally as individuals, it's just creating a healthier relationship with change. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. This story is unbelievable. (laughs) Although the eat, pray, love, you know, know, segment in Bali, you know, I'm wondering if I can talk my husband into that. (laughs) Oh, heck yes. Well, especially with your business and how you operate, listen, you don't need a physical location. You can just go anywhere. And I'll tell you, the internet in Bali is fine. It's more than (laughs) adequate. So there you go. Patrick, if you're listening. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you let me know when you're ready because we got some great friends over there and Um, some wonderful communities to connect you with. And that goes for anybody that's curious about Bali. Just reach out. I'll introduce you to my wife. She, She was meticulous with taking notes of everything. Yeah. Basically, her note section in her phone was like places we went, people we connected with, you know, even like some of the subcontractors, like this is the guy you rent bikes from, you need a driver, this is the driver you hire, you need a maid, this is the maid, you know, like it was this, my yeah. wife's so good with that stuff, me, I'm just like, where are we going today? You know, what right. are we doing? <laughs> like, so anyways, you let me know when. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, tell me though. Yeah. So you started traveling, you yeah. traveled around North America. What mm-hmm. was the traveling life like? Were, mm-hmm. you, were you homeschooling the girls? <laughs> we tried for the first two weeks. I guess it's probably more appropriate to call it road schooling because right. we were on the road. <laughs> right. But we realized very quickly, my wife and I lacked the patience for that. And to be fair, our kids did too. <laughs> right. Like mom, dad, we're in the car fire together. We were around each other so much so often that when it came to doing that focused, intentional work, it was just challenging. It it didn't feel natural, didn't feel smooth. So we all sort of came to an agreement where there were certain subject matter that we would encourage the girls to constantly stay on top of it. We had made sure they had some iPads, Mm -hmm. some basic Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. We had a few websites, certain YouTube channels, but also encouraged certain habits. And one daughter, she loved playing Minecraft. Kids that get really proficient at doing that, they just become... Very creative. And my youngest daughter is very creative based on that passion she had with that. And then my eldest, she got into a platform called Wattpad, which is, it's basically just all a text-based platform where people write and create stories and poetry mm-hmm. or collaborate on stories. Yeah. And she loves that, which led her today. She's an actor and at university for, for acting for stage and film. So yeah. it's funny to see how that all progressed and really She was on that path well before we even knew she was. I guess the best way to describe it is for those five years, we life schooled the kids. We were going to national parks or Mm -hmm. local provincial parks. 
you know, research some of the hot spots or top restaurants even. Just really encourage them to take it upon themselves to educate themselves about where we were traveling. And our girls were very good at talking to other people. They take after my wife that way. My wife's very extroverted and she can talk to anyone. And uh, my girls are very similar and take after her that way. And so it was neat to see us go around and make these new connections in these new cities. It was a wonderful experience. And we knew when it was time for our kids to go back into school. Mm -hmm. In Canada, when you come back into a school system, whatever age you are and whatever grade you would have been in, they just put you in there. Okay. Like there's no challenging, there's no showing that you have a certain foundation of knowledge. They're just like, nope, there you go. And it's like, they don't even hold people back anymore. I mean, I just, I don't want to get into this social commentary either, right, but right. I've got some opinions on that. But anyways, <laughs> we did condensed tutoring for six months. My eldest was going to grade 11. My youngest was going to grade nine. So we went into condensed tutoring to get them caught up on all the materials, the mm -hmm. key subject matters. Mm -hmm. And it was great. They went back into school. You have to remember, they were also the ones pushing to go back into school. I would have stayed in Bali, okay? Like, sure, I would have sure. stayed there. I wasn't ready to leave. Right, and right. So my daughters were really, they were pushing that mm -hmm. uh, agenda. And I'm fine with that. We always honored it. But as soon as we knew we were coming back, we, we doubled down on that tutoring. Yeah. And just got them to a place where they felt comfortable and confident enough to go into school again. But they were also excited to be going back into school. So they were excited to learn. Yeah. Connect, have that whole high school experience. It's different when your kids are telling you, I want to go to school. And I'm like, <laughs> are you sure you're my kids? When I was 15 and, you know, getting starting to get healthy, I was like, the last place I want to be was school. But I commend them for it. And they stuck it out and did really well. Both are off at university now. The years you were traveling, did you, yeah. when your wife ever second guess yourselves around oh, yeah. the, <laughs> the life you were providing for the kids, right? It's well, very non-traditional. You're right. But the neat thing is my wife had done a lot she had been dripping on me for about a year before I finally gave notice for 20 months. So, you know, for about three years before, you know, we finally had the day where we're driving away from Vancouver, there was like three years there where she's listening to podcasts, connecting with different Facebook communities. There's so many nomadic families out there, even though it's a small niche, it's a pretty big population of people when you actually start looking into it. Like even yeah. podcasts that are out there of traveling families and nomadic mm -hmm. families and people that have figured out ways of, of just, making their their careers or vocation not location dependent and it was really inspiring because you'd send hey listen to this podcast and then i'd listen to a guy that was a similar career path as me and up and left and took four of their kids and his wife yeah. you know on traveling i'm like six people man i got enough logistics with four you right, know right. And, and and i was like well if he can do it man why can't we you know right. and uh, so I warmed up to the idea because also I was going through all those personal changes myself when it came to purpose, meaning for my life. And just, yep. again, I was approaching 40, yep. you know, 40 was in the near future. And I was like, geez, where, is this where I thought I'd be? You know, is this what I'd be doing? You know, yeah. what would I be doing? You know, what do I want to be doing? They're scary questions, yeah. but they're very worthwhile answering, you know, because they're clarifying questions. And when you have clarity, your confidence goes up. And when you feel yeah. more confident, you take more intentional action and you procrastinate less. Right. That really just created that momentum for us to keep going. There was mornings, we'd be having a coffee, talking about it, sort of reviewing the plan for the day. I've never told this ever. So this is a first timer. Okay. I remember very distinctly, we're on this traveling and we were down in the States. And for some reason, I got locked out of my accounts. I don't know what happened. So we had no money, you know, because my wife and I, we have joint accounts on everything. Yep. So we're locked yep. out, credit cards, everything. We're down in the States, we're not in Canada, can't seem to get a hold of anybody at the bank. And I just remember being like, it's okay. I got a Starbucks card that's connected to my PayPal. 
we can eat, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I remember for about two days, we were going around from Starbucks locations, one for the free Wi-Fi, but two, because yeah. I had this Starbucks card that was attached to my PayPal account. So we could at least keep reloading the Starbucks card, yeah. you know, and, and we were like, man, this is in North America. What would happen if this happened overseas? We'd right. be screwed, you know? Right. So it was fun to have sort of those moments because it also put our resiliency to a test, you know, yeah. and uh, my wife's always very even keel. She's like, don't worry, we're going to get through this. And I'm always like, Nah, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, this is I'm sort of doomsday at times, right? Yeah. And uh, she's the one that's uh, like sickly optimistic, okay? Like, and I always joke, I'm like, my wife is sick with a chronic condition called PMA. <laughs> and people are like, what's PMA? Positive mental attitude. <laughs> you know, like, seriously. Yeah, and yeah. it is contagious. I mean, if you want something to go viral and get sick with, that's yeah. a good thing to get sick it with, sure you know? Is, yeah. So, but I, I laugh, but that's just who she is, you know? And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, we, we navigated a lot of those ups and downs and they were very emotional at times. And also try not to let that frustration between my wife and I in those moments affect the kids. Sure. You know, because they're also young. Yeah, Yeah. it is a small space, you know, and Airbnbs and motels, hotels, you know, friends, couches, like living room floors. It was all over the place what we did. And they they pick up on everything. They're very empathic that way as well. They pick up on people's energy, especially my youngest. She's really very in tune to that. So we're, we're really sensitive because we know if we get upset around our, our youngest, she always gets upset, you know? Yep. And uh, so it was trying to be mindful of that, but it's hard, right? Like you just, you get in the thick of things and emotions take over. I can honestly say, Stephanie, as challenging as some of those moments were, it was well worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I won't trade those experiences for anything. And yeah. I look at my girls now and they're, they're just, they're just seems so much more mature. Mm-hmm. Like that was the thing when they went back into high school, cause they missed all those middle years. Right. In school, which mm-hmm. can be really hard years, yep. you know, really hard years, especially with all the social media pressures today and just, yep. just media's influence. Right. And yep. they didn't have to deal with any of that. Yeah. So they went right into high school and they're like, they were amazed at some of the conversations kids would have. Right. They're just like, that just makes no sense. Like they just felt like they have no idea what's out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so it was really neat to see them logically rationalize some of these very emotional and, and very hormonally influenced conversations. Not to say they weren't sure, sure. dealing with that themselves at times, but sure. they just had this ability to sort of di- dissect and digest things as needed and, and, and take what they felt they needed to take, but also to forget the rest. I spent a semester in, in Ireland when I was in college. Oh my gosh, that must've been so much fun. It was the best. It was a transformative life experience for sure. I spent nine months, almost nine months living in Ireland. Awesome. And, and I remember, you know, coming, you know, and when you're in Ireland, you're close to so much of Europe. And so we, we went in, Mm, you know, mm. into different parts of Europe and, and you see that people live different ways and you see that the way that was common in your house or your community or your town or your school isn't necessarily the capital R right way to do things, right? There are other right ways to do things. When I came back as a 23 year old, like I just had so much more context Mm. for the world when I came home. It was like, it felt parochial. It felt, you know, home felt a little parochial for, you know, because a, a huge amount of the population here, probably like where you came from, we're just from here and just stayed yes. here and never yeah. really went anywhere else. And so, so I bet your girls really experienced that when they went back to high school. Thank you. You're, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. And that was, especially their first six months in school, it was like yeah. really noticeable. And then eventually they sort of just, 
yeah, they get into a flow and they get into yeah. those friend communities and, you know, they get on the social, they start connecting with other people. We were pretty good at having those family conversations though, to be like, Hey, listen, you know, the way you're acting right now is not cool. This is a bit unruly. What is this? What's going on? You know, yeah. and, and inevitably it would find out there's something else going on at school that's affecting them and they bring it home with them. Right. So, mm-hmm. and we're okay with that. We just sure. like to be able to discuss it, you know, especially if it's affecting the energy in the house. Right. I'm guilty of that too. Like, so I always use myself as an example with them because they know it, it's whatever energy I seem to have in the house, the house adopts. And uh, yep. <laughs> so if I'm having a bad day, they'll be the first to say, dad, do you need something to eat? Yep. Do you need a nap or do you have to go work out? You know, like, it, like my family knows me so well, like legitimately, it's like, it's one of those three things that I yeah. need to do. But through the yeah. actual embodiment of that Snickers commercial where you oh, change human beings until I, you've had your Snickers. I swear. Yes. Like my wife, it's funny when we traveled in the console of the car, we always had protein bars mm-hmm. or meal replacement bars just for that reason, because I get very hangry very quickly. Yeah. And when I do, I get quiet yeah. and I get snappy. And mm-hmm. so I actually remember one time her throwing a bar at me, like literally <laughs> throwing it at me, like, do not talk to us until you eat this. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was pretty good, but it was, it was well, and it was a good point on her power because I, um, I, I needed to eat. Years ago, I found the perfect kitchen towel. It says, don't tell me that hungry is not an emotion because I feel that shit in my soul. Oh, I love it. That is so good. I would totally hang that up. Literally, it's not a towel we use. It just hangs in the yeah. kitchen like art. I bet. I, I was going to say, that's just so on point. It's yeah. not even funny. Yeah, yeah. No, it great. is. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. I'm the same way. Patrick knows. It's, and, and that was actually one of the things... I remember a girlfriend reflecting back to me, like one of the things that made me fall in love with him was like, I remember a day, maybe I was having, I don't know, same kind of thing, right? So having a spiral of somewhere and and he looked at me and he said, I think you're hungry. And I was like, are are, are you a magician? I don't even know I'm hungry. But you're exactly right. Let's feed me. And as soon as we fed me, I was fine. Yeah. So. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, you got a good partner when, right? It's like, yeah, they, cause they, they also tolerate the hungry version of you. Right. And uh, until they don't. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, my wife's like, you haven't eaten yet. Have you? Like, cause sometimes I get distracted. I get into something and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to eat. I didn't eat. And she's like, I can tell you haven't eaten yet. Don't talk to me until you eat, you know? And so it's, but it's good. She makes me better. Yeah. Know? She makes me better. Yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you guys gave up your life and went wandering for, it sounds mm. like about five or six years. About five years. About five years. Yeah. Which brings yeah. you to your early forties. Yes. Right? That we home. moved back here, what, two and a half, three, three years ago, I guess we came back. So yeah, I would have been 42, almost 43 when I came back. Yeah. yeah. So what was the transition like coming back to being rooted in a community and in a place? Well, so here's the funny thing. All right. My, my daughters, my both daughters and my wife came back the summer. Mm -hmm. So just to put this in context, the summer of 2019, they moved back. Okay. Because they knew to get them set up for school, yep. like we had to go on a wait list, make sure we got into the encampment. You know what I mean? That word, you know, mm-hmm. the school district yes. that we wanted. And yes. so my wife came back, also found a place for us, you know, started a house, you know, get the whole house set up. But anyways, all that stuff. They were good with that because I had commitments still in Bali. I had some retreats that were going on and some speaking engagements. I just, I had some commitments there. And mm-hmm. plus I wasn't ready to leave yet. So <laughs> I stayed on in Bali for six months after they left. But I did go back at the three month interval and come home for three weeks in between. But when I moved back, I came back January, end of January, 2020. 
And yeah, you know where I'm going with this. So well, there's I, two I, things to go. Yeah. The first one is you came back into winter. I know. Well, trust me. And <laughs> we don't get a lot of snow in Vancouver. But when it snows, it snows. You know, okay. it's it's a like Seattle climate, same, yeah, just yeah. like that. So Seattle doesn't get much snow either. But when it snows, it's there, and yeah. it's there for a few days, you know, or longer. And so yeah, I came back, and there was a snowstorm for one, and then two, you know, is about four and a half, five weeks later, you know, lockdown. Yeah, right. Because it started it, on the west coast. Yeah. It, yeah, it was ridiculous though because you know I had all these great intentions. I had started men's groups when I was in Bali, so I had this wonderful men's community, and I mm -hmm. basically started planting seeds. So when I came back, I already had twenty guys showing up to these weekly meetings, like right, yeah. right out of the gate. Yeah, you know, these guys showing up to support each other. You know, just really building that that camaraderie with with like-minded individuals specifically men for men you know we had three meetings and then lockdown and so like all that momentum disappeared because transitioning to zoom some did sure some of those meetings are still going but the the attendance was just phew, mm -hmm. you know just i i understand why you yeah. know and most of us get zoom fatigue but also that nature of those kind of conversations are so much more effective in person you know yep. and but so yeah and, and i also had a bunch of speaking engagements booked and some media stuff booked all that um, my business dropped like 60% in revenue, forecasted revenue, like literally within weeks of the lockdown, you know? Yeah. And so I, I'm one trying to reacclimatize myself legitimately, you know, not metaphorically, yes. like legitimately, I mean, the weather sucked, but also just trying to get back into my connected communities. And yeah. that was also gone. So I, I really, my mental health suffered a lot during the initial first six months of pandemic. I, mm -hmm. I also had some really bad health complications. I have a chronic autoimmune condition. And okay. I had a couple events where it just, my immune system was triggered and, and I got really sick and yep. at one point even hospitalized. So, mm -hmm. and that in itself was a weird experience because you can't have any family there. They put you in. Right. And it's just like, it was just a, I, I feel for people. Yeah. yeah. And luckily I was only there for a few days. I was like, right. man, what about people that have to be here? Like, yeah. how hard is that? Well, you know? And what a scary time to be in the hospital too, because oh. you just thought you were going to actually get <laughs> sick in the hospital, yeah. right? It was, it was a very scary time. <laughs> It really was. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, those first, I'd say six to eight months, you know, it was, it was, everybody was like big question marks. What's going on? Right. Yep. And I remember they still had the daily tally, the death toll. And I'm just yep. like, I still believe I'm like, why? I mean, do we have to be so mindful of how many people keep dying? Like it, yeah. that was the big number every day. Oh, it's gone up more, you know, like talk about fear mongering. Right. But yeah. uh, anyways, yeah. So it was challenging. It was challenging, but, but come that summer, you know, of 2020, things started to lax a bit because the weather's here is better. So we were mm -hmm. going outside a lot more, started connecting with communities. Really, I put a lot of emphasis on my mental health first. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because that next 12 months, I set in motion. I was like, you know, my 44th birthday is coming. Like I turned 43, 44 is a year away. You know, before I'm 44, could I be the fittest and healthiest I've ever been in my life? That was sort of the question that I asked myself. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why not? You know, like I'm already pretty healthy, but I mean, what does it mean to be a healthier version of who I am now? And I knew I had to prioritize mental health for that to be true. Mm -hmm. And so I put in a lot of mental health practices that really helped me a lot, especially during that second half of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But also I noticed as my mental health got more and more solid, you mm -hmm. know, and rooted in this healthier space, my physical fitness went through the roof. Mm -hmm. Like certain body fat that I was holding on to, especially around the midsection, which I know was tied to cortisol and my mm -hmm. cortisol levels were very high and weren't regulating. I was dealing with a lot of chronic stress. Mm -hmm. So anybody that's listening to this, if you got that little bit of a 
you know, certain fatty areas that just doesn't seem to ever go away no matter what you do, go get your cortisol checked out. All right. Yep. Just get it checked out. Trust me. You might be your adrenal glands are a little out of whack too. And yep. you might be on the verge of burnout or something, or you might be already be burned out, but right. you got to deal with that. And once you deal with that, it's amazing how things just unlock. And uh, I ended that year and I've been able to maintain it ever since. It's just, and, and I'm actually working. I didn't have to work at it that hard. And, and people still laugh at me like, oh, whatever. You're probably in the gym every day. Da, 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 da. And you're probably like super diet. And I'm like, no, diet just means how you feel yourself. It, it has nothing right. to do with weight loss, you know? And right. I don't eat to lose weight. I eat to thrive. And mm-hmm. so actually I work out less now. I eat more food than I ever did, but I'm actually the fittest I've ever been. And I'm almost 47 now. So I'm like, I keep pushing myself. I'm like, so when I hit 50, I'm like, I want to be the fittest I've ever been at 50. Like, why not? Right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was some goods that came out of the pandemic. You know, that was some good for, for me personally, anyways. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I'm curious when you say you put mental health practices mm. in place, can you give me an example or two of things yeah. that worked for you? Absolutely. One thing for me was not worrying about quantifying what I was doing. So what I mean by that is we, we hear a lot of numbers constantly thrown around at us, yeah. you know, especially around health and fitness. Yes. Like it, I mean, we can't help it. It's like, you know, we talk about height, we talk about waist, you know, right? we talk about yeah. body weight, we talk about how fast you can do something or how much mm-hmm. can you move? Like we we're very good at quantifying, mm-hmm. but why not qualify it? Like, why not mm-hmm. talk about what is this actually doing for us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and why are we even doing it? Like, what's the motivation? And, and so I started looking at that, but specifically around mental health and this, this chronic stress I was, I was dealing with, you know, we all are. And I mean, the World Health Organization a number of years ago said it's actually the pandemic of our generation. It's chronic mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. and it's chronic unchecked <laughs> stress, you know, because yeah. like, most of these lifestyle conditions or symptoms we're seeing people come down with, they are lifestyle based, right? Like, yep. it's just, they're preventable. Yes. you know, with the right measures. And uh, so getting out for a walk every morning mm-hmm. and especially in, in, in the winter in Vancouver, people will know what I'm talking about. The sun doesn't come out a lot. Okay. Here in New England. Yeah. Okay. Same. So yeah. I, I, vitamin D3, I d- started super dosing with 8,000 I use a day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that might seem like a lot, but for my body weight and size and activity level, it made sense. And mm-hmm. uh, it worked really well, giving me that sort of little bit of a boost because yeah. vitamin D3, just so people are aware, it's actually a hormone. It's not a vitamin, even though it's called vitamin D3, it's actually a hormone and uh, it's that happiness hormone. You know, our yep. bodies can't produce it naturally. So we have to get it through supplementation, but we can also get it from the sun. Right. Yep. And, but if you're not getting a lot of sun. We hear about sad seasonal effectiveness yeah. disorder. Right. Yeah. And so getting up for a walk and if it was a sunny day, especially I would take 20 to 30 minutes. Again, I didn't really time it. I just sort of sit there cause I'd always be listening to an audiobook or a good podcast like yours. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like feeding my mind with something positive. Yeah while doing something physically good for myself that, that yeah. shifted that mental state and, mm-hmm. and then sitting when I could in the sun for, for, you know, maybe a podcast episode or a chapter yeah. in an audio book, those little things to start my day almost within few days started to see a mood shift in me. Yeah. Now, if I want to quantify this to validate it for those that are sort of the science motivated people and, and want the data to validate why we do certain things, I'm a big fan of tracking what's called heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. So HRV and my HRV was chronically low at that point in time. Within a few weeks, I got my HRV up a significant amount and, and that translates into everything, how you're regulating stress. Also, you know, how your sleep is handling, even body recovery and repair, even just how your skin looks, you know, like HRV is sort of that window into the nervous system and that was where I saw the validation for the actions I was taking. I actually saw that numerical improvement, Mm. but I didn't really need the number to validate because I was feeling better. Right, right, right. 
Yeah. You know, and the and, number was just yeah frosting. Yeah. Correct. It, well, and it just again, I'm sort of a data guy that way because this yeah. is the space I've been in for 30 years as yeah. well. So I'm really interested in this stuff. But also, I knew if I documented everything, mm-hmm. there'd be an opportunity to support others with similar things. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I documented it all. You know, and I, I created this, what I call my Merge 60 protocol, you know, and happy to share it. Anybody wants to just message me. I've, I've done a couple of posts about it on, on LinkedIn and Facebook and all that. It's, it's okay. out there. I just, I don't exactly go through all the things to do, but yeah. I give you a basic outline and it's, it's not very time intensive, but mm-hmm. you do have to have the intentionality to follow through. Yep. You know, yep. and, and making those little promises to ourselves and keeping them. I encourage people take 2% of every 24 hours and make it non-negotiable. And I know there's people, you're probably even doing the math right now. So you're I'm actually not. I'm very bad at math. Oh, I was just asking you to tell me. <laughs> 30 minutes. Okay, 30 minutes is only is 2% of every 24 hours. It's 30 minutes. Okay. And so I invite people to be non, you know, never negotiate on that 30 minutes daily. Make yep. it your primary self-care time. Like just, just time for you to focus on you. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, really focus on those elements to improve mm-hmm. and, and just do some basic activities for yourself, you know, to show yourself some self-love, but also to see the health improve mentally, yep. physically, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. And uh, I call it the 2% solution, right? And yep. again, it's the copywriter in me. But regardless, I invite people to just try that. And if yeah. they're interested, they can always pick up my book. I go through the whole thing. But as I say, my publisher doesn't like this, but I give away everything for free on my website. But <laughs> like, she, she really doesn't like that. But I'm like, I, I don't like dollars and cents to get in the way from people having access to being right. healthier. You know, right. like I, I really don't. Because I think back when I was 15 and I wish I had an internet back then. Right. You know, I think my journey would have been very different. Yep. And also if I could have got around more people that were going through similar journey as I was at 15, right. I, I think I would have navigated things differently, but also that internal work, which I never did. I think I would have done mm. if I had better mentorship and leadership and, and just better examples, modeling certain habits for me. So that's a big part of why I do what I do now. You know, if yeah. anyone looks at me on social, I never tell you what to do, but I'll right. tell you what I'm doing. Right. And I'll show you what I'm doing. Right. You know, and my invitation, is, and I always think about that is I'm going to show, I'm not going to tell. I sort of yeah. took that from acting back in the day as well, right? Is this idea of just, I'm going to try to lead it by example, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also it, it holds myself to a different standard when I do that. That's been part of that shift coming into my 40s, you know, is, is this intentionality on how I just live my life now. Yeah. It's not easy though. I, I have to admit that there's days where I'd rather stay in bed. You know, I I still have some mental health challenges. You know, I still deal with a bit of depression, still have social anxiety, even though I I work as a keynoter a lot of the year. My heart rate jumps about 10, 15 beats a minute before I get on stage. My hands are sweating, you know, like it it doesn't matter. It could be a group of three people or it could be 300 people and I'm still going to have the same physical reaction. Yeah. But I've learned how to channel that into something positive, you know? Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. All sorts of stuff, huh? (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is, this is so cool. There are moments like, like this right now where I have to say, okay, Stephanie, don't ask another question because we could be here for hours. I just feel like, (laughs) I feel like I could just talk to you for the rest of the day, but you have been very generous with your time and with your story. And, and, and I have so enjoyed meeting and talking with you. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. And Stephanie, before you know, we stop on the record, I just want to say this to everyone that's watching or listening to this. It's like, Stephanie, I want to thank you, oh. you know, specifically for creating a platform where you can capture these conversations. And all of us get to be little flies on the wall, right? That, and listen in on these because that's how we learn. I mean, all of us, the best way to learn is through mentorship and modeling. Right. You're providing a vehicle that gives us both. 
Yeah. You know, so I, I just want to say thank you because I know it, a lot of energy, time, resources, and a lot of energy goes into doing this. And and I know there's probably a lot of sleepless nights and thank, thankless days, you know, mm. but I just want you to know we appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening today. I was interested in Dai's realization that at, at, at age 15, that if he didn't do something to change, his future was going to look no better than things were going right then. He said he became more afraid of that future than the idea of figuring out how to change. And that reminded me of one time I went to see my old friend and psychic Bill Burns. Um, I was running late for our appointment because it was winter and I couldn't get my car out of my parking space. The snow and ice were pretty bad and I, my car was kind of stuck. And I had to, I remember rocking my car back and forth to try to get it out of the rut it was stuck in. And as I ran into the room late and, you know, made my excuses and told him what was going on, um, wouldn't you know, it was the perfect metaphor for him to grab and reflect back at to me because I pretty much summed up where I was at my life at, in that point in time. And he told me that day that we make changes when the pain or discomfort of the present situation is greater than the uncertainty of what's to come or what's in front of us or what might happen. And it sounds like that was true for Di at age 15. And it was definitely true for me in my at that time in my mid-30s. And I think it was probably that conversation or another one around that time that finally gave me the courage to send an alcoholic boyfriend packing and get on with my life. <laughs> Another thing I related to from this conversation was when Di realized he was trying to live the same life as his business partner and mentor, and he was trying to do things the same way to try to achieve the same result. When I first started my marketing business 17 years ago, there were a couple of my peers, specifically two people who I was on a board with, who also had marketing agencies, and they were a couple of steps ahead of me for sure. But I watched how they ran and grew their businesses. And then a couple of years later, I started working with a sales coach for a couple of years to teach me how to help me grow my business. But a funny thing happened on my way to having a business just like theirs. I realized that their versions didn't fit me. I mean, even as I was watching and and doing all the things that I thought it took to run a marketing agency, I remember myself very clearly saying that, you know, I didn't want a 40 person agency. That's not where I, that's not what I was dreaming of. It actually sounded terrible to me, but yet here I was measuring myself using the same ruler. For a long time, I, I think I felt ashamed. Like I was doing it quote unquote wrong because my business didn't look like theirs. And at the time, I didn't have the confidence to create my own vision and pursue that. And if you've been listening for a while, you know what's coming. Uh, you know the punchline. When I got sick seven years ago and I had to cut back on the time I spent working, my business actually flourished. For a couple of years, the less I worked, the more it grew. The less I pushed, the less I work, 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 dug, dug, dug the better the business did. It was revolutionary. And it was the universe showing me that there was a different way to do things that might work better for me if only I'd give it a try. And then forcing me to give it a try because I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't 
had to slow down. <laughs> well, as has been true in my life and in most of these conversations, we really only learn these things when we're ready. The last thing I wanted to comment on was I love how Di and his wife found the confidence to build a life that worked for them and take their kids out of school and go traveling for five years despite their own reservations and despite any negative feedback from whatever peanut gallery was in their orbit. It reminds me of my conversation with Terry Short in episode 42, who also took her kids out of school and intentionally created a lifestyle where they spent six months in the summer in Idaho and then six months in the winter in California, building in time for long trips to New Zealand in the winter. And they took full control and full responsibility for the life that they wanted and they made it happen. And it's a great reminder that we all have the same opportunity to do so, provided we can muster the courage. <laughs> all right, next week you're going to meet Diane Wolfert, who says that between 35 and 45, she transformed from a caterpillar to a butterfly. She found the courage to leave a marriage that no longer fit and moved across the country from her children because she felt like she was suffocating and she needed the room. She says, anytime you think I could never fill in the blank, she said, once you achieve something like that, you go from I could never to I'm unstoppable. I can't wait for you to meet Diane. I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications. 